Hello, and welcome to Rain City Bunker. My name is Andy Brown, and I'm here with Greg Moon. Good evening, everybody. And we're on episode 25 of our show. We've been doing for, you were talking about earlier about, we were chatting, and Greg mentioned he always kind of uh, latches onto dates and so forth. So when did we start this? I know we've said this. It's on the website there, but uh, August 09. August 09. We've been doing over five years. Wow. This this show follows uh, closely on the heels of another show, or at least close for us. Uh, <laughs> and we'll probably, it, it's October and we're heading into Halloween, which is one of our favorite times of year. So we'll probably try to get one out before Halloween. Well, the topics we're discussing tonight, Andy, are plenty spooky oh, for yeah. Halloween. So <laughs> yeah. we're too lazy to get to a Halloween yes, episode. This will, which this would serve. Uh, this will serve. Basically, I mean, everybody is talking about Ebola incredibly scary disease. Uh, did you ever read that book, The Hot Zone? I haven't, but I know you have. You know, it's it, as a friend of mine uh, described it one time, is you want to take a bath and bleach after you read that book. And at this point, we've had one death from Ebola in the United States, in Dallas. I think the number in Africa is up to about 3,800, oh, which on the grand scheme of things isn't right. a huge number. Right. But the thing that's most concerning about this it's it's in the baby stages and the other thing is and you know this andy ebola when it showed up in the past has been so fatal that it would show up in a village or a small town or whatever kill a bunch of people and then just go away because the people who got it did not live long enough to spread it right right so i don't know if you know about how this is different in any way um i i think just that it's it's been it's more urban and just it's a large it's infected a larger percentage of people i have a feeling that each time they've gotten an outbreak it's gotten closer and closer to larger population centers and uh i think maybe we may have reached like a tipping point as far as uh you know larger urban areas where it's where it's yeah. gotten to and apparently a big part of the issue is well it is scary inherently but the medical conditions just living conditions in that part of africa are so much lower than our first world, so-called first poverty. world. Yeah. Yeah. Poverty. And, you know, we have very advanced technology and medicine and transportation and sanitation. Right. And I think they're lacking a lot of those things. I don't know all the details, but yeah. in general, they just don't have the high level of... Uh, there's there's that. And then there's kind of also a lack of understanding of what the disease is. And then probably a well-deserved distrust of uh, the the governments in those areas. Mm-hmm. So I've actually read stories of families who they're, they've, they have a relative who's been hospitalized and they've stormed the hospital and taken the relative yes, out. Yes, yes. And, and a lot of them will not report it. And so you, you have that going on, which so is... So part of the problem there is the distrust for authorities. Right, right. And then there's also uh, the big thing, though, apparently, is the, the funeral uh, rituals where it's like there's a bathing of the bodies which is done by hand and that is that is just absolutely one of the biggest vectors for for this disease yeah yeah once you die <laughs> once yeah. a person dies of ebola yeah. they're still contagious for oh, yeah. a fair amount of time yeah it's got to be a while yeah yeah and i think the guy who passed away in dallas just wednesday as i understand it they they're wrapping them in they wrapped them in plastic yeah and yeah. then brought them to either burial or cremation right, right. But you know, and uh, Greg and I were talking about this as well. It seems odd the way the hospital in Dallas one handled this because the guy went to the the hospital, said that he wasn't feeling well, said that he was in Liberia, which is one of the you know ground zero for this particular outbreak, and 
they sent him home. And then when he got even more ill, he went back to the same hospital and they finally took him in. But there's been all sorts of oddball things about this. Uh, one, I was reading a written account, a journalist who was covering it and had mentioned observing because when the guy, I, I'm sorry, I don't know his name right off the top of my head. When he left his apartment and was waiting for the ambulance, he was vomiting in the parking lot of where he lived and they had a maintenance crew, a maintenance oh, crew yeah. cleaning it up. Well, you know, maybe I should back up from what I just said. Yeah. America, we think we have these high standards. Uh, yeah. And then this, and it's not so much that it could kill everyone, but it, just be careful with it. We it, don't yeah. know what it is, really, it seems. Right. Or it's changing because it hadn't been an urban environment before. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah. Treat it like a hazardous don't waste. Don't send the maintenance crew to hose it down. And actually, I heard they use pressure washers, which, yeah. you know, sprays up in the air. So if anyone walked by and they breathed, Oh. They could get Ebola. I mean, it's really because what they're saying at this point, and I yeah. believe them for the most part, but it takes kind of like physical contact. Yeah. So you have to either touch the person or have some intimate contact or uh, bodily fluid. So right. someone vomiting, that, and then there was the virus this, is in the vomit. And then uh, uh, Greg, um, and I won't hold you to it, but, but I think Greg had the latest information. There was the sheriff that served the family, the quarantine order and he was worried because he started to feel ill but you were saying that yeah and he was pretty ill because he went to the hospital and uh he had a fever and right. he was not in a good way yeah but just i just heard just like a hour or two ago that they determined he does not have ebola yeah and he had been in the affected man's apartment right without the, and this is what i was saying to greg greg without protection without gloves and a mask and everything like that yeah and, and I, I did tell andy if i were a sheriff i'd say well should i have some a mask or nah something? you'll be fine you'll be <laughs> fine don't worry about it <laughs> so yeah you kind of wonder what these people are thinking but um i think the real indicator is if it's how easily transmissible it is which right. and we don't i think it's in flux you know yeah you know viruses mutate this yeah. could be a different virus than the out- most recent outbreak where it burned itself out yeah or that's the way it had been the people who will probably show up with symptoms are he was living with people he's living right. with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter right and uh her girlfriend's daughter's husband or there yeah. were some people in that apartment and so and so far i haven't heard about them yeah but i, I think they're under they are under quarantine yeah, yeah, i believe yeah. so we will find out and do you know how i i read a story how he got it when he was in liberia oh i didn't, didn't know about this tell me he was uh with family friends and uh, a young woman who was pregnant got ill <sighs> And they were taking her to the hospital. So most likely the contact he had with her was maybe touching her sweaty skin or something. Right, right. So just touching someone's sweaty skin could possibly be enough to transmit it. Yeah. So it's not necessarily like, you know, uh, HIV or hepatitis C where you need a real intimate contact. Yeah. You know, I I was reading also a guy, the doctor, and once again, maybe I should print this out, but the doctor who discovered Ebola or who figured, you know, uh, identified it back in the 1970s, 76, I believe. And he seemed to be, he seemed to be fairly certain that it, you know, I didn't see any kind of concern that he was like, Oh, this is going to mutate and be airborne. He seemed to be fairly certain that it was just going to remain this kind of through person to person. With, right. But, you know, at the same time, how do we get flu and colds? Uh, well, they've been we, around we, for a long time. We touch, time. we touch handles, and we wipe right. our nose or mouth. Right. But the Ebola virus, I think they say, can live up to four hours yeah. outside the body. Yeah. So if someone with Ebola, you yeah. know, sneezes or coughs on their hand, yeah. opens a door, and you come within four hours, yeah, that's I think that's a small chance. Yeah. I think a direct 
contact is going to give you the largest chance, most right. likely. Right. And we, but I think we just don't know at this yeah. point. It seems like we're being pretty cautious about it. Yeah. But the reason I kind of convene <laughs> this podcast, uh, and once again, I'm going to cut Greg a break because uh, this is one I kind of convened because it, it stirred a memory. I have a subscription to popular science magazine that that is going to go on for the rest of my life because I kept renewing it. You know, I remembered something uh, from several years ago that they featured in one of their little articles. And I mean, it was just like a page long thing or something. And, and I looked it up because they specifically in this article, which was, uh, was it 2006, they mentioned Ebola and it was in the context of, they were kind of reviewing this potential device so in the middle of all this chaos and fear, yeah. we have some hope. Yeah. You know, but my brain just immediately went to like kind of that, um, you know, thinking differently, you know, because what, what are the, con- you know, antibiotics don't work on viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what are the treatments are, uh, you know, antivirals or there's some, a lot of experimental stuff and, but it, it's mostly drugs. I mean, we're, we're talking mm-hmm. about drugs and just hospital treatment, you know, r- keeping somebody, their fluids up and, and, you know, that sort of thing. This device that was reviewed in uh, popular science back in 2006. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. That's eight years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago is it's called a chemo purifier. And it's almost like a, um, like a filter that would be on a dialysis machine as they described it. And it's from this company and we'll have links on the site. Of course, is this company called, Athlon, Athlon Medical Incorporated. And even though this article is six years old, apparently they're still, you know, they're still testing this device and everything. Yeah. And that's what I asked Andy. Uh, and he talked in about India, this device. Like, yeah. And I looked at the article and it was from 06. I said, is this still around? And he said, yeah, he visited the site and it's still there. So yeah. it seems like the technology is still viable, but because I haven't heard of it before. I, so it hasn't really caught on. But t- tell us more about it. Yeah. So what it does is imagine something that's about, um, I don't know, the size of a small rolling pin that plugs in, for lack of a better word, uh, plugs in or into uh, one artery on one side and then plugs into another artery on the other side. And on your forearm, it looks on like your forearm, the figure. Yeah, the picture that they have, that's what it shows. And it says, uh, let's see, Athlon has built two versions of its device. I'm reading from the article now. One, a foot long and an inch wide, is designed for use in hospitals. The other, the size of a large pen, is meant for use in the field. Both types attach to a pump, but the portable version could work without one using the patient's heart as the engine to force blood through the filter. And this this is how it works. And this is right from their article on Popular Science. Infected blood flows into the hemopurifier through a tube extending from one artery. Two, the toxin filters work like a colander allowing small viruses through, but not large red and white blood cells. The filter, which is made from a biocompatible plastic called polysulfone, is coated with a special plant-derived antibodies that hold fast to the pathogens, ensuring that they don't re-enter the bloodstream. Three, purified blood travels back into the body through a second tube inserted into another artery. Uh, the human body typically, typically contains about five liters of blood, the entire quantity could flow through the hemopurifier in about 12 minutes. The process is repeated until all the toxins are removed, usually within a few hours. So that, now tell me, Greg, from that, do you want to give like the, 
you want to give kind of like what your interpretation of that is? Yeah, I was kind of curious how this could work because viruses are very small, a lot smaller than blood cells. Right. That's how it does work. It works because of their size. Right. Right. So uh, I, I was asking Andy about it and it what it does is there's, uh, was it plant antivirals? Kind of yeah. plant antivirals that bind to viruses from animals. Right. And then that kind of incapacitates them and then takes it, basically takes it out of your blood. Yeah. Let's see, how did you say it? So the filter itself won't let the blood cells through, but the viruses can go through and then do the binding in that right. container. Yes. And I don't. I guess they may get caught in that container or, not, or, or even if they don't get caught, if they get bound with the plant, uh, item whatever right. it is yeah you know then it's not active anymore what did the, what was it called the uh the plant um what is it called plant, plant derived antibodies but they had a plant, name yeah plant derived antibodies. um so sino sinovirin such as sinovirin that's the the plant derived antibodies but you know so i went back revisited it saw that it was still there um the other thing we should mention is kind of uh in 2006 the article was talking about bio weapons right as, and this was and this company had gotten um interest from darpa mm-hmm. um, and that's the military research yeah military defense advanced research projects yeah. agency something like that yeah you know that so uh, somebody found it legitimate enough uh but you know i was, I was curious it, it almost sounded a little good to be true mm-hmm. you know uh greg and i you know, and oftentimes, even though something is a viable idea, there's other stumbling blocks. Like Greg and I were fascinated with um, the turkey to oil, turkey to oil. The what is that? Clean world technologies yeah, is, yeah. That, or is that what it was I think called? it was clean world, clean technology. world technologies and stuff. And that just ran into business travails, yeah. and obstacles, and yeah. just never came to fruition. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird what makes it, what doesn't. Make yeah. It. Um, but the other thing I thought is that I contact former guests that we had on our show, uh, Dr. Jeanette Heyer, and she's a geneticist. So just as a caveat, understand that she's not a medical doctor or a virologist, but she has vastly, uh, she works in science. She works in science and, and she has vastly more <laughs> biological, biological knowledge than Greg and I and asked her to take a look at it, which she did. And to my surprise, um, I'm just going to quote various things from the email that she sent, sent back to me. She said, so it sounds like the filter should work. It is entirely feasible to isolate very specific things by running them through an, af- an affinity column. So the, the tech is completely doable. And in fact, it looks like they do it. What looks to like, looks to me like the difficulty is the doing it in a live person, living person. I suppose that there are, I suppose that these are where a good, strong regulatory agency will watch over. For instance, what happens if you make, she's talking about problems then. What happens if you make the column, hook it into your bloodstream, and some toxin from the manufacture process is released? Of course, it doesn't matter in a life or death situation. And then she says where she's, uh, she's, I am a little ambivalent about targeting critically ill people as human experimental subjects. Of course, they give consent, but still. And uh, uh, then she says, but the goal would be to have this in before you get deathly sick. And then she adds this, which I, I think I kind of agree with. Also, their clear, clear rate seems ludicrous. Well, in general, most of these public relations descriptions are a tad hyper-optimistic. She's, is, she says they're basically saying that in six hours, all virus was removed from the bloodstream. Uh, I think she went, she dug into it a little further than we did because she, she quotes something that must be from their literature. But I'd say if it, it, in these situations, you know, once again, I don't, I might not understand the appropriate 
good, there for a good reason sort of obstacles that something like this has to yeah. clear. There's some real world issues that yeah. you got to deal with. But, you know, you wonder if, if something became, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't. But if something became in this country in particular, and, you know, I mean, I just think it's awful. I can't imagine when you read descriptions of how how you die from this disease. It's just it's oh, yeah. horrific. Yeah, it's not and, a very comfortable. And I can't imagine, I mean, you know, just, I, I just feel so much for those, those people that are, their relatives are dying and they're getting sick from trying to help their loved ones. I mean, it's just, just awful. Yeah. You know, we can get into, I'll, I'll get into a more uh, Rain City Bunkerish view on that in a second. But you can see the re- the only reason I'm saying in this country is because if it became an emergency situation, I wonder, do you think that like this sort of thing, they might just say, all right, oh, you're getting a pass. Bring it to the... Well, the- I think I think that's really possible, Andy, especially when you consider, remember, they flew in the uh, medical workers from Africa. I think they were Americans and right. they were out there volunteering to yeah. help in the Ebola crisis. Yeah. And they caught a man and a woman caught the disease. They flew them back to Atlanta. Right. And they both recovered. I yes, believe, they right? did. They yeah, both yeah. recovered. And what people pointed out is that they gave these people experimental yeah. treatments. Right. So presumably they had to leap over the regulatory process yeah. to do that. Yeah. So they, if, if you have a huge epidemic yeah. and thousands, if not millions or whatever, a huge number, I think, yeah, if yeah. you're going to die anyway, you might as well try it. Yeah. And the, the cool thing about this, it's really quite amazing. If, this, you know, let's hope it's feasible because this wouldn't just be Ebola. It would yeah. be any kind of... Uh, they mentioned HIV in there. HIV, yeah. smallpox, which, God forbid, ever come yeah. back, or, yeah. or uh, genetically engineered viruses. Right. So this thing could be affected to pretty much, it sounds like, almost every virus. Yeah, yeah. You could, do, if things were going good, you could do that maybe for the cold or flu, right? Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if it'd be worth it. Would you really want to hook up to it? Maybe yeah. not, but I mean... Um, have, you've given blood before. Yeah, yeah. Once the needle's in, it yeah, doesn't not, really bug you too no, much. You know, it's not, not painful really. No. The only pain part is when it goes in and when it right. comes out. Yeah, it's true. And it's not it may bad. be for a couple minutes after yeah. it comes out and they put. The I certainly on. would be. You know, if I had something as scary as Ebola, and they were like, "We're going to try this thing out." Yeah, hell yeah. And I don't see why it couldn't be done in conjunction with like the the antivirals or the experimental medications sure. as well. Sure. I, you know, once again, who knows? But I mean, it, you know, why not double up? Yeah. <laughs> you know? This was also a kind of interesting side note on this whole yeah. Ebola thing. Uh, our local hospital, Harborview Medical Center, which is world, I think nationally or world renowned. Yeah, yeah. Um, my brother got hella backed in there when he broke both his legs. Oh, boy. But when you have a bad problem, they yeah. send you to Harborview. Harborview. Yeah. And Harborview has volunteered to take Ebola. They, they volunteered to take American Ebola workers you know, who are in Africa, yeah. if they contract the disease, right. Harborview said they'll take them. Yeah. Well, I just started a new contract with <laughs> UW Medicine, and it's two blocks from the Harborview Hospital. <laughs> so I joked on Facebook, should I break out my old hazmat suit from my <laughs> environmental days? Um, I do I, I do think, you know, and I've talked, It's I take taxis quite a bit. And I get a lot of, there's a lot of Ethiopian drivers and um, Somalian drivers and stuff. And I know that's not the, the directly impacted places in Africa, but, but just getting, you know, I've talked to them about, you know, uh, their opinions on it and stuff. And, you know, one guy was saying to me, he's like, yeah, you know, I think a lot of these people hide when they, they start getting sick. They hide, they hide? From, hide from authorities and so forth. Oh, and why? Well, cause they're, they're, they don't understand 
it and they're afraid that they'll be killed by the government and, you know, a variety oh, of fears. Wow. They all seem to agree that here in the United States, the response would be different. People would react differently. Like, let's say, once again, knock on wood, um, doesn't happen. You know, we started hearing about stories of Ebola in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And one, I'd probably be working from home a lot more. <laughs> and I would not be shy about wearing like a, like a surgical mask and gloves and stuff like that. I mean, if that was the yeah. case when I went out and about. And two... If I started to feel ill, I would contact people right away. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So I think that's a difference of what's going on here. Now, what I was going to say as I give a Rain City bunker angle on it is what it, what it did occur to me, and I'm, I don't mean to, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it or trivialize it, things like the, the, the whole zombie genre yeah. of, you know, movies, books, and everything. There really is kind of an analogy that can be made there because... There's that thing, you know, you know, the zombies are so dangerous, but they're also, they're recognized by the people in these stories as their loved ones. And, mm, and you know, yeah. uh, and, and, and that's where that fiction kind of explores that. And it's, and it makes kind of an interesting analog to this because, you know, these people are so, you know, extremely dangerous, yeah. but they're, somebody cares about them. Yeah. And, yeah they're human beings. Yeah. Some with someone who loves them. Now I'm hesitant to bring this up. Yeah. But a friend of mine on Facebook, Black American, he is questioning, and this kind of goes along with the Rain City Bunker mentality. Oh. But he thinks, you know, uh, the two workers who got flown in from Africa, they were both white, I believe. Yeah. And they got cured with this experimental drug. Yeah. My friend is suggesting that perhaps because this man was an African, that he didn't get the experimental drug. Nah. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really don't. I, you know, there's, there's going to be conspiracy theories about this. There are conspiracy theories about HIV and everything. Uh, which if you dig into some of the conspiracy theories that came out about <laughs> HIV in the eighties, uh, there's some, this is maybe a conspiracy theory in, a, in and of itself, but there's some evidence that, uh, that the Soviet Union was distributing propaganda that, uh, the United States had developed this as a bioweapon of sorts um to give and, the america bad press yeah and i wouldn't be surprised if there's not a little bit of that going on as well uh no i don't believe it um now you the argument could be made he this guy is an immigrant um and he's he was a black immigrant you know from africa i don't think he was an immigrant or, or he was visiting i believe oh he's visiting i believe he, so, yeah. but i don't you, think he was american citizen. okay so he's, his girlfriend was american okay so he was not american citizen you could, I could see the situation in which they, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying this did happen, but I could see a situation where they maybe didn't take him seriously, you know, and, it, and that could have been an influencing factor. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be horrible if that happened. I really do think this hospital dropped the ball Yeah, on this. Uh, well, and it goes beyond the hospital, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. When they went to the apartment where he had vomited in the parking lot or wherever yeah, it was, yeah. they did not take good precautions no they didn't treat it like a hazardous waste which it is really until we understand like the fire department there with their they have hazmat suits and stuff like that and and i don't think you just throw it down the sewer don't you i don't know what you do with it but uh i I would assume there's some you can bleach bleach it yeah bleach bleach it all yeah yeah. which i think the maintenance crews were using but they're not they weren't trained yeah you know and that boy that you know and i tell andy kind of jokingly saying, I don't think people are smart as we used to be because right. in le- I guess some people just don't follow the news like we do. Right. We, we know what's going on. But yeah. if someone said, hey, dude, you're a maintenance worker. Go clean up this vomit. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I'll, sure, clean up vomit, but did they not tell him what it maybe was? Not. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's like, what is going on? Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's nothing, um, no ill intent from yeah. it, but it just seems like just some bad decisions. He shows yeah. up to hospital. He's from West Africa. He said he was visiting Liberia, which is like the... Yeah, the, from yeah. Liberia. So... You just wonder, and the medical people you figured would know, hey, yeah. West Africa, they're having an Ebola outbreak. Yeah. This guy's ill. He's from East West Africa. Maybe we should keep him and keep an eye on him and yeah. treat it like it is Ebola until yeah. we know what happens happening. Yeah. So it's kind of it, it kind of shakes your confidence yeah. when you hear stuff like that. Now, when I when I uh, when I got sick this summer, I got really I think it was food poisoning. I got really sick, and I went into the urgent care. One of the thing one of the questions they asked me is, did I travel any place unusual? This was before this current uh, this, outbreak. this current outbreak. I think I don't know when it well, really started. Uh, this is well, our last podcast was uh, August, August thirty first. And I think this has really taken off. I mean, you know, taken off in the sense it's getting press right. last month or so. So yeah. right around that time. Right. Um, and I think that's when you were ill. Yeah. Yeah. And they asked me if I traveled anywhere unusual, which I didn't. And, uh, but you know, that, that, that's part of the intake, I would imagine, you know, and trying to figure out what's making somebody ill. Sure. Sure. Um, like, you know, were you I, in Africa? Because isn't malaria? I mean, there's mal- malaria in jungle areas, yeah. right? Well, and there's all sorts of different things. I mean, you know, I could have, uh, you know, there's like hantavirus if I'd been in the Southwest or something like that. You know, there's there's a variety of things. I'll bet if I, if you know, the same thing happened now or you know even before this this Dallas thing, and I went in and I was ill, and then they were like, "Have you traveled anywhere unusual?" And I was like, "Yeah, I was in Liberia." I just I, I feel like the people I dealt with would have would have been like, all right, we're going to escalate this. Yeah. I write computer software. You know, some parts are hard, but some parts are easy. If visited West Africa, <laughs> yeah. West Africa equals Liberia, yeah. you know, Ivory Coast or whatever right. is in West Africa, then you keep them. Yeah. It's a very simple rule. It's yeah. not a complicated. You don't have to think a lot about right. it. But well, you know, but I think they're learning. I yeah. mean, and they know there's a lot of press now. So yeah. I think hospitals and emergency responders are going to be a lot more careful yeah. and hopefully it doesn't happen again. Hopefully this yeah. is it. But yeah. I think odds are, even if it doesn't become a huge thing, yeah. odds are we're going to get some more cases. Yeah. Probably. I think, yeah, I think we probably will. I don't think it's anything to panic about, but yeah, it did, it did make me think of like, you know, what are you doing know, outside of this whole thing? Um, I'm just, I'm always interested in the science stories that are yeah, not to use that old cliche, but that that think outside of the box when it comes to treating disease. Um, well, the story you read, I yeah, mean, that's that's one thing. Some some very clever person or company. We got know. another one. I might, you know, Greg, I might even just save this for because this we're planning on this podcast being a little bit of a shorter one. Um, I have another thing about it. Kind you of can a, tease it. Yeah, I'll tease it because <laughs> it, it got me thinking about other kind of unconventional ways. Um, and this one is kind of using and not in not in the not in the new agey way, but. I'll just give you the headline. Scientists unveil magnetic device for extracting bacteria, toxins from blood. So maybe a, a new way to uh, treat bacterial infections, which are, you know, that's that's of concern because they're becoming resistant to antibiotics. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's a concern. So I don't know. Any, any uh, last thoughts? Well, it's fall and we both yes, like fall, we uh, do, yeah. but we've had a very nice fall here in Seattle. Yeah. It's been 60s, and the other, gosh, just like a week ago was in the 70s. Yeah, 75. It's been sunny, and the leaves are turning slowly this year, it seems. Very Very beautiful beautiful fall. fall. And uh, so we are going to endeavor to do a Halloween 
Now I'll actually do some research. I'm working now, so I'm not used to working, so I'm all tired all the time. <laughs> but we'll do some research and come up with some interesting topics. Hopefully, fingers crossed, before the Halloween. Yeah, I think we, sh- we should be able to. Yeah, we'll, tr- we'll, we'll shoot for it. All right. So uh, this is Andy Brown signing off. And Greg Moon signing off. Until next time. And we'll talk to you then. Bye.